Let's continue reading Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. Now, in this first section of the chapter, we have the beginning of Joshua's final farewell address. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Once again, let's begin now with some background notes for this first section of Joshua 24. Joshua chapter 22 was Joshua's farewell address to the two and a half tribes who lived on the east side of the Jordan River. Joshua 23 was Joshua's farewell address to the leaders of the children of Israel. Now here in Joshua 24, we have Joshua's final farewell address to all of Israel gathered at Shechem, as we read in verse 1. Shechem was in the central part of the land. Shechem was where Israel had ratified God's covenant back in Joshua chapter 8. That was soon after the battles of Jericho and Ai. Now the covenant is reaffirmed once again at Shechem here in chapter 24. It's probably about 25 years after the covenant renewal of Joshua chapter 8. This covenant renewal is probably not too long before Joshua's death, which occurs at the end of this chapter. Now you might say, why two covenant renewals at Shechem? Answer, why not? It never hurts to renew a covenant before God, especially after 25 years. Covenant renewal before God is a good practice. Now, in the first part of the covenant renewal here in Joshua 24, Joshua summarized God's faithfulness to his people, especially in the way he chose Israel and protected Israel and guided Israel. 
Notice the number of times God says I in this passage that we've read to emphasize his sovereign care and concern for his people. You know, we read of this same sovereign care of God for his people in Psalm chapter 44, verses 1 through 3. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days. In the days of old, you drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. Now, in reference to God's sovereign care for his people, we see in this first section of Joshua 24 that God is sovereign over nature. God is sovereign over history. God is sovereign over mankind. That is, God is in full control of all of these areas and makes them work together for the good of his people. So for our doctrinal points, let's look at these three areas where God is sovereign. So doctrinal point number one, God is sovereign over nature for his people. God is sovereign over nature for his people. In verse five, we read, I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Think how obvious it was that God was controlling nature during the plagues on Egypt. Frogs, lice, flies, livestock, hail, darkness. God was controlling nature. He was sovereign over nature for his people. In verse 7, we read that at the Red Sea crossing, God brought the sea upon the pursuing Egyptians and covered them. God controlled the waters of the Red Sea for his people. In verse 12, we read that God said, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Now, some commentaries that you'll read say the word hornet here may be figurative for other opposition that the Canaanites faced to soften them so that when Israel came in, you know, they'd have it easier. Well, that may be so, but there's no real good reason why this word can't be taken literally. As God sent swarms of flies and locusts upon the Egyptians, so God could have sent swarms of hornets and wasps upon the Canaanites. God is sovereign over nature for his people. You know, we see this all the way through the Bible. Look at the life of our Lord, calming the sea and so forth. Is God sovereign over nature for his people today? Yes, of course he is. Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things after the counsel of his will. And all things certainly includes nature. Illustration. I remember a huge snowstorm in Pittsburgh a number of years ago. As a result, a meeting that I was going to attend was canceled and never held. At that meeting, I was going to make a major decision that would have probably changed the entire course of my life as to the ministry. But God used a snowstorm to cancel that meeting. God is sovereign over nature for his people. Doctrine point number two. God is sovereign over history for his people. God is sovereign over history for his people. In verse 6, God said, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. The Exodus was certainly an event in history, and God controlled all aspects of it. Now go down to verse 8. This is about the conquest now. 
And I brought you into the land of the Amorites. And verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. The conquest was an historical event, and God controlled it from start to finish. Look in verse 13 how God sovereignly controlled the conquest so that the cities and the farms were not destroyed, but given to his people. You know, this was all part of God's sovereign plans for his people. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. God controlled every aspect of the conquest for his people. God is sovereign over history for his people then and today. Romans 8, 28, well-known verse says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you say, how can God do this? Control circumstances and historical events to work together for good for you and for me and millions of other believers at the same time? That's a big job. True, but we have a big God. He can do it. He can pull it off. God is sovereign over history for his people. And doctrinal point number three, God is sovereign over mankind for his people. God is sovereign over mankind for his people. Verses 9 and 10. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. We read the story of Balaam and Balak back in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam, a diviner from Mesopotamia, to curse Israel. But God controlled Balaam and forced him to bless Israel and not curse them. God even had Balaam, this pagan diviner, give a messianic prophecy in his blessing of Israel. I'm reading Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 a messianic prophecy from the mouth of Balaam. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. The pharaohs and the Balaams and all the Canaanite kings and their armies could not stop Israel because God is sovereign over mankind for his people. The same is true today. Illustration. Look at the miracle of the present state of Israel. Back in 1948, God not only controlled world events, but God controlled the leaders of this world so that they made the unlikely decision, humanly speaking, that a homeland would be established for the Jewish people. God is sovereign over mankind for his people. Another illustration. You know, as Emmaus Bible College is expanding its ministries, We've seen some amazing decisions on the part of state and local officials in our favor. Why? Because God wants Emmaus Bible College to expand at this time. And God is sovereign over mankind for his people. Listen, if God wants you promoted in the job that you have right now, or wants you to have a certain position, no one can stop it. Because God is sovereign over mankind for his people. 
Practical application. Make sure you hear the rest of the story. Make sure you hear the rest of the story. Look at verse 4. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Now, if you didn't know the rest of the story, and you only had this verse, who would you say got the greater blessing? Esau, of course. Esau was given a possession of land. But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Jacob's descendants became slaves, while Esau's descendants enjoyed the possession of land. But that's not the rest of the story. God brought his people out of Egypt and across the wilderness and into the land of promise. We now have the rest of the story. You know, maybe some of you here this morning feel like you're Jacob in verse 4. It looks like everybody else has been blessed. And it looks like God is not fulfilling his promises to you. Listen, be patient. The rest of the story hasn't taken place yet. Too often, we look at our present situation and don't wait for the rest of the story to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And they lived happily ever after can really be said of all believers, including you. So if you're hurting in some way this morning, make sure you hear the rest of the story.